Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Word on the Hill podcast <laughs> with the lanky guys. My, My name is Father Peter Musset. You always got to be first. I always, dude. Which means you're going to be last in the kingdom. That's right. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. And uh, we are happy to be with you this fine day in September. Fall is in the air, Father Peter, dude, which it, is my favorite season. Dude, and me I'm just going to keep on talking. <laughs> dude, no, I, I've got nothing else to say. I, I was a, my dad always makes a joke. He says that he's going to like be the last one out of purgatory. There's going to everybody's going to be like totally rock and the party in heaven's going to be like going hard and uh, and, and they're going to see my dad coming and they're going to be like, "Dude, He's going to be burnt to a crisp, <laughs> <laughs> just like oh. totally just blackened from, oh. from his work in purgatory. Oh, and they're going to be like, dude, I thought we closed that place like a long oh, time years ago. ago. Oh. <laughs> and then he's going to be barbecued and he'll join the celebration. I'll be right there with him. Yes, you will, dude. You, <laughs> you and my dad. All three of us will be there. <laughs> dude, and maybe some of you. So... Maybe some of you. Well, hey, um, I just have to say thank you, everybody, for all the wonderful feedback that you gave us last week for the podcast. Yeah, the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've been getting a good amount of podcasts or a, a good amount of feedback. We've been getting a good <laughs> amount of podcasts. <laughs> I feel last like we, couple weeks. we were on sort of our weird hiatus, right? And I was solo a couple times, and we were on vacation. We had some reruns, and now we've we, we're trying our best to come back, you know, ready to go, on fire with the uh, ready to go. <laughs> with, the, with the with, with the, the podcast ven- with the vengeance yeah with the, with the podcast <laughs> oh I, I think I've jinxed it <laughs> now we're now we're sunk well y'all it's like the best uh, to be able to welcome you to our podcast for the 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time our first reading this week is coming from the book of Ezekiel chapter 33 verses 7 through 9 our psalm is from 95 or yep yeah okay our psalm is 95 well, I mean, I guess it is from 95. It's from that. You said it appropriately the first time. Yes, we we are going to be rehearsing and perhaps even singing to, uh, verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7, 8 and 9. And we'll say verse 8 quite a few times. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Bum, 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 bum. Our second reading is coming from the book of <laughs> the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. And then um, our um, gospel um, is um, seriously, <laughs> dude. Do you know what they call that? That's in, the worst in, in technical terms. Um, vocalized pause. Yes, I knew that. We are going to be coming from Matthew chapter eighteen, verses fifteen to twenty. And if he, if your brother sins against you, then you better talk to him. So yeah. Um, so Scott, uh, this whole podcast today is just going to be some conflict resolution with you in, fr- in front of the whole world. <laughs> so, uh, so we're talking about Zeke today. Yes, Ezekiel. Um, and uh, I like it. This dude is like he like hangs out on walls. He has a bow and arrow. This is how I imagine Ezekiel. Dude, it's all a metaphor. I know. Oh, sorry. I just. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sorry, do we need to do conflict? I'm just trying to create conflict so we can have resolution. Okay, I, w- I want resolution. Well, your conflict is, you haven't done it yet. Um, yeah. So Ezekiel, can you, t- I mean, all I think about when I think about Ezekiel is them dry bones, them dry bones, them dry bones. Yeah, that does the hip come. Hip bones connected to the leg, leg bone, bone, leg, leg bones, bones connected, connected to, to the, the jaw bone, jaw <laughs> bones connected to the podcast bone. I think you failed anatomy in college. I sure did. Um, <laughs> and film. 
<laughs> you failed film? I did. How do you... All right, that's that's did, a story for another time. Did, <laughs> I'll just take your word for it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's one of the... So there's a series... There's many, many visions in a, the book of Ezekiel. I think the dry bones comes in maybe chapter 37. So after this, we're pretty deep into the book in chapter 33. Um, Ezekiel, Ezekiel is actually one of my favorite of the prophets. Um, he's, he's very dark. There's not a whole lot of good news there. there actually, that's not entirely true. Starting in chapter 33 about where we are, okay. we start to get a little bit more into the good news, right? And, and that's how the prophets tend to work. There's always, uh, warnings and punishments and, and talk of chastisement, but all of it is for the sake of reconciliation, which is really important for us to keep in mind with all of our readings this week, because... When God punishes, like any good parent or good father, he only punishes for the sake of trying to build back up, right? And any parent should only really give a punishment if the intention is to reconcile the child, right? Or, or, to, or to make right what went wrong. Right. So uh, that being said, what, what's going on in Ezekiel? I, I like Ezekiel because he's one of the, what's called the major prophets. So I think Isaiah, Jeremiah, and they're called major not because they're more important than the other prophets, but their books are longer. So the major prophets, quote-unquote, are just the ones with the really long books. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, I think Daniel is considered one. And then the minor prophets, you know, are scattered all over. But Ezekiel, what makes him unique is, so Isaiah and Jeremiah, for example, are talking about, everybody's talking about the same thing. All the prophets, well, at least the major prophets, are talking about the punishment that is coming upon Israel for being unfaithful to God and unfaithful to the law, right? You've okay. been unfaithful. You've turned your back on God. You've committed idolatry. You've done terrible things. And so there's going to be punishment because a good, loving, just God can't let evil go on indefinitely. He has to bring it to an end, right? So punishment has to come. Now, Jer I Isaiah and Jeremiah are watching and the punishment is going to be the destruction of Jerusalem and the loss of the temple and exile and being hauled off into a faraway land because what it meant to be faithful to the covenant was to be a people after God's own heart, to be a great nation that was supposed to be a light to the world, a salt of the earth, to basically share the good news of to who a, Yahweh is with... Assault the earth? The salt of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so Jeremiah... Uh, Isaiah, these, they're watching this happen from sort of the inside. Well, I'm, I was about to say inside. So they're watching the destruction of Jerusalem happen from Jerusalem. So I was tempted to say they have the insider's point of view while Ezekiel has the outsider's, but it's actually the other way around. So Ezekiel um, was taken in, I think, the second wave of exile. So some of you have, have heard us talk about this before. When the exile happened, when ba the nation of Babylon came in to attack and siege Jerusalem, Acting as, as God's, this is God's punishment that he allowed to happen because of their hardness of hearts. Uh, they took people away in a series of waves of exile. So, so this was Babylon's immigration policy. They came in to attack cities or places or nations, and they'd find the best of the best, the best doctors, the best scribes, the best artisans, and they would haul them off into captivity first because they wanted to put them to work. They wanted the best of the best, all the workers, right? So they took those people first, and then they would come back and kind of take the blue-collar workers, the laborers, and then they'd come back and kill everybody else that they didn't need, right? So it's actually a long time between the time that uh, Babylon begins to attack and Jerusalem is actually destroyed. Mm. And so what Ezekiel is telling us about is that intermediary time. So he he was taken in one of the early waves of exiles. They thought he was he was uh, valuable to them as a scribe, as a prophet. So they took him off. And so what he gets, he gets to watch the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile taking place from the heart of God. So he's taken in a series of visions 
back spiritually to Jerusalem to watch from the point of view of God himself, what's actually happening. So in a certain sense, well, you could say like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're watching it from Jerusalem. He's actually watching it from Babylon, but he has the more inside track on it Mm. because God is showing him the things that he wants to be revealed. And so Ezekiel's job, so imagine it, you have this group of exiles who are hanging out in, in Babylon, hoping for the day. They're like, any day now, maybe we'll get released. We'll go back home. We get to go back to Jerusalem. I hope everybody's okay there. I hope it's saved. You know, there's a big hurricane that's bearing down on Florida right now. And you have all these people getting ready to evacuate, right? Which by the weekend, you know, who knows what's going to be happening. But it's this feeling like, okay, we're all evacuating. We're getting out of Florida and we're going to wait. And hopefully that maybe the storm will take a different route. Maybe it'll go this way. Maybe these things will happen. Maybe we'll be spared. Um, And what Ezekiel's very sad news for everyone is going to be is, no, nothing's going to be spared. It's not going to it's not going to remain. And so his job is basically to tell everybody up in exile, it's done. It's over. Jerusalem is destroyed. It's going down about halfway through the book. They get word by a messenger who literally runs up to Babylon to say the city has fallen. It's over. And Ezekiel's job is to try to show why this is actually God's will and how he's actually going to bring reconciliation in not just despite Jerusalem's destruction, but because of it and how he's going to reconcile all things back to himself. So one of the first visions that Ezekiel gets is this vision of uh, a char- of chariot wheels. I think it's way back in chapter yeah, yeah, one. Remember yeah. that? Uh, absolutely, because what, what happens is that we see that the throne of God is, is mobile, not not as some sort of stationary reality. Exactly. But, like you, have, and it can go in any directions. And it's flaming wheels, and it's got wings, and which like, means there are angels around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which means even if you're stuck in exile in Babylon, that doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. God is actually still present because God's not tied and locked to a temple in Jerusalem. He can um, accompany us anywhere. So that's important for Ezekiel. You know, it's funny. It's like I've been thinking a lot about, um, I've been thinking about the persecu- the Catholic persecution in Mexico in the early, or early 20th century. Yeah, yeah. And how like, that's not even a hundred years ago. No. And, and how. Uh, isn't it? It's around almost, 100 yeah. Years. We're, we're closing in, yeah, yeah. We're closing in, yeah. I mean, yep. it's it's basically we're, we're like yeah. around a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's a short time. You could live yes. that long. Well, I couldn't, but maybe you. I couldn't. mean, yeah. with the amount of Red <laughs> Bull we drink, we, we may not maybe live that long, but but we'll, our bodies will definitely be preserved that long <laughs> by the amount of artificial <laughs> yes. preservatives. You don't oh. even need to embalm me, man. <laughs> They're gonna be like, dude, this dude ate enough sweet tarts. But I was just thinking that like. That like the times in Mexico. Do you think that's going to throw off the whole theology of what makes an incorruptible saint? <laughs> Are they going to be digging up people like, oh, it's it's just the Twinkies though. It's like, oh, it's a miracle, dude. I want to meet the guy who's like, I'm I'm rooting for incorruptibility, so I'm just going to eat Twinkies every single day. <laughs> Twinkies and Doritos. Twinkies and Doritos. Sorry, I totally derailed you. Back to back. Uh, no, to that, was, that, that was that was that was. It does right. create some theological problems, though. It does. Anyway. Um, so they uh, they exhumed uh, uh, Solanus Casey. Yeah, and found What's he him. Doing? He's incorruptible. Is he really? Yeah, dude, he has sweet glasses. He does in lots of miracles. He's from Detroit. Anyway, okay, back to <laughs> he is. Go Detroit. Go Detroit. Um, wow, that was a huge derailing. But oh, what? Well, I don't even know what the point I was uh, making. You were talking is. about the Cristeros movement. Oh, in, the Cristeros movement. That um, that the reality of what we face, like we're actually gonna we're getting to the age now, friends, where we're gonna be called to be like Ezekiel. We're gonna actually have oh. s- some of the same prophecy because, like, the the truth is, is that w- we are in a post Christian age. Yes. With with 
post-Christian ideals, and our country is set up actually precisely so that people can modify it and change it, even though it's, yeah. it's based on Christian principles. But it doesn't mean that we, like, we can't still kind of try to have them really enshrined in the core of our country. But... What, but I, I I'm looking around and this isn't meant to be depressing, but I, I'm seeing it's a little depressing. It is a little depressing, but I, but I see that the the prophetic vocation of the church has has always going to be here, regardless if um, people are following after it or not. And we we yeah. actually we're called to we don't get a bunch of extraordinary graces right now, partly in the church because I think that we're actually supposed to be like Ezekiel in this yeah. place where it's actually the ordinary proclamation of Christ that. That is that is has become extraordinary. Yes, that's absolutely it. It's 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 actually the the sign and power of God within the normal everyday life for us to proclaim Christ. And and so I look at I look at Ezekiel. Yes, he was hauled off and he was experiencing this this deep sense of alienation. Um, and but yet what what is it like? What is God giving him today? He's giving him this like ba- basic rules for conflict resolution. Well, g- which, kind of. Which is, I mean, yeah, okay, kind of. Oh, hold on. You know what? Actually, pardon me. I mean, that, you're you're jumping to the the gospel is very clear. The gospel is okay. very clear, but it says Ezekiel's but, different. But he's saying that you actually have to say something if you see the wicked. If you wickedness. see something, say something. If you, <laughs> Ezekiel was putting that those posters up way before our time. He is. Can I? Did you read the context around this? I didn't. I I don't know if it changes anything, but it, it really illuminated it for me. And I, as I'm about to read it, it might be one of those things that it, for that moment, I had this thing, I was leading a, a Bible study with a focus group, and I remember thinking about something beforehand that was so profound. Okay. You know what I mean? Do you ever do that? And I was like, on my prayer time, I was like, this is a mind-blowing concept. And then it came out of my mouth, and they were like, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shoot, that wasn't that interesting. Dude, what, what what's hard is that you can, it's so difficult to um, express to another person without deep levels of intimacy the context of why something is so significant. Yeah, it's and true. And so so when you're teaching a class, you could have an insight that is like rocking your world and everybody's like, "Okay." Like <laughs> <laughs> right. because what they what they don't have is they the don't context. have the same spiritual intimacy with you or the context. The spirit, you know, the context of what's happening in my heart or Right, that's what room. I mean. That's what yeah, I mean by yeah, spiritual yeah. intimacy. Right. Right. Okay, so here's what it says. So this is and ch- again, chapter 33 the very beginning here, it's kind of a turning point in the whole book. Right. It's where the whole book is moving really from, okay, Jerusalem's being destroyed, you guys stink, everything's horrible, <laughs> to, but let's look forward. And that's actually where your mention of the, the Valley of the Dry Bones imagery comes in. What is the vision of the dry bones? Basically, look, Israel's dead, or it's all but dead. It's a bunch of dry bones lying in a valley. But in his vision, these dried bones actually grow synapses and muscles and, and, you know, veins and all these things, and they actually become a body. So they come back to life. It's actually a vision of the resurrection. So despite the fact that everything seems dead and broken and destroyed and decaying, God is going to bring it back to life. Because again, what's the principle? God only punishes for the sake of restoration, for the sake of bringing back to life. Um, so that's what this section is really going to start to say. So that being said, here's how it, here's how it begins. Okay, I'm listening. Are you? <laughs> Are you, though? All right, so it says this. You need to, because you always bring the good insights out of these things. Why so I read context. I'm with you. All right. 
Okay, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, speak to your countrymen. And remember, where is he? He's in exile. He's in Babylon. So speak to the exiles in Babylon, in other words. And say to them, when I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make them their watchmen, and he sees a sword coming against the land, he blows the trumpet to warn the people. So if there's people living in the land, if they hear there's war, they're going to put a watchman on the tower. And when they hear that danger's coming, he's going to sound the trumpet to warn them. Verse 4. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but doesn't take the warning, and the sword comes and takes his life, his blood's on his own head. Since he didn't heed, he didn't, since he heard the sound of the trumpet but he didn't take the warning, his blood will be on his own head. If he has taken the warning, he, if he had taken the warning, he would have saved himself. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and doesn't blow the trumpet to warn the people, and mm. the sword comes and takes the life of one of them, then that man will take it away because of his sin and his blood. Uh, but I will hold the watchman accountable for his blood. Okay, so that's one part. Dude, no, that's, get- that's like radically important. I mean, like, that's crazy important context for what we're, we're about to hear. Yes, it is. And what comes afterward, just briefly afterwards, is also very important. So here's what we get this week. It says, so, so, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. This is your job, to stand on the wall and to warn them. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. When I say to the wicked, a wicked man, you will surely die. And you don't speak out to dissuade him from his ways. That wicked man will die for his sin but I'll hold you accountable for his blood because you didn't warn him and your job was to be the watchman which makes me like sends cold shivers down my spine no me too I'm like well yeah that's well with that context I'm going like uh oh yeah I know that's and I think it's important okay keep going but there's a but to this and then the opposite but if you do warn him and he doesn't turn from his ways then you'll have saved yourself and, and you're fine it's his responsibility but okay here's the other part and this is what we don't get this week son of man say to the house of Israel this is what you are saying our offenses and our sins weigh us down we're wasting away because of them how can we live we're such a disaster in other words we're such a mess there's weight of our sin say to them surely as i live declares the sovereign lord i don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live i don't want the wicked to be punished i don't right. want them to die i want them to turn that's the whole point of you ezekiel turn turn from your evil ways why will you die o house of israel you don't have to so therefore Say to your countrymen, the righteousness, the righteousness, listen to this. This is confusing sounding, but it's, it's important. The righteousness of the righteous man mm-hmm. will not save him when he disobeys. And the wickedness of the wicked man will not cause him to fall when he turns from it. Let me say that again. The righteousness of the righteous man will not save him when he disobeys. And the wickedness of the wicked man will not cause him to fall when he turns from his wickedness. So basically, what, like if I were to interpret what that was saying is, is it says that um, you can't rely upon your past good deeds if you decide yes. to go into wickedness. You, you yes. can't say like, hey, I've always been pretty good, so I get to do this. Correct. It, and, and that if you're like, oh, no, I'm about to turn from this, it's saying that you get actually get a be free from your old ways if you really sincerely go into metanoia and to into to conversion. Now what and that's there's so much spiritual application but there's a historical application as well because who's hearing this? Well, Israel's hearing it. And what is Israel hearing? We're the people of God. Right. We're the children of the covenant. We're the light of the world. We're the ones, we're the favored ones, we're the firstborn sons. And what they've been saying to all the prophets is this can't happen to us. We're fine. We've got the temple. We're righteous. And all the prophets are like, no, yeah, you're righteous. Yeah, you're the chosen ones. Yeah, you're the sons of God. But you've chosen 
to commit adultery and to idolatry rather and adultery, I'm sure too, and to do all these terrible things. Your, your, your identity as a son is not going to save you. Simultaneously, where are they? They're in Babylon. They're in a foreign pagan land. <laughs> and what they've got to be thinking is, well, these guys are, we're, at least we're the little remnant of the good ones. These guys, and it's actually, remember, in a few years, it's going to be Cyrus the Persian, a pagan emperor who actually acts as God's savior to the people and sets them free and actually will act as God's messenger. And so what they're being reminded of is just because you're Israel doesn't get you off the hook. And just because the Babylonians are the Babylonians doesn't mean I'm not willing to extend my mercy to them. Because the whole point of all of this is reconciliation. I want the Babylon Babylonians... I want the Persians, I want the Israelites, I want the Egyptians, I want all the people to come back to me. And if I have to use punishment and chastisement to get my children to come home, then so be it. But I want them all back. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm struck by, and so what's Ezekiel's job? You're the watchman. Tell the wicked, tell the righteous, warn everybody. And if you don't, then it's on you, which is a pretty hefty responsibility. I know the feeling. Yeah. Well, we all should to some degree, which... Yeah. It's hard. You in a particular way. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. It's like I've been looking around and I and I go, you know, we live in one of the uh, such an anxious time. People's anxieties are through the roof. Um, people's depressions are 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 like deep, mm. and and it's all the this time where we have like forsaken the idea as a people together that there is a perfection to the there are is that there is a nature to the human person and a perfection of that nature yeah and that that you can actually work towards and move towards those things and so yes. in that desperation in that forsaking of the the, the real the, the humanity itself really at, at at its core like we say, oh, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to disengage. It's all trolls anyway. I don't want this sort of conflict. So I'm just going to rely upon the algorithm of my newsfeed to mm. feed me what I want. And I'm going to leave the rest or, or just be violent towards anything that is disagreeing with my right. idealizations and, and right. depersonalize the rest of the world. And Which the, is so easy to do. It's just easy. And it's comfortable and it's easy and it's so cathartic to vilify somebody. It is and to just be like the bad stuff is over there. It's those people. You always told me this one of like uh, like Penn and Teller and Penn. Um, Penn uh, at one point said uh, said uh, you know I he's like he's like uh, something about evangel. You'll remember the quote. Um, I don't think this was me. It was. I I can go back into the podcast. I will play it back for you if I can find it in another right. five years yeah. of our <laughs> yeah. podcast or four years or whatever it is. Um, this fifth year. I'll wait. Um, the um, but he says, uh, how would a Christian hate me so much to, to believe me, to believe that I'm supposed to go to heaven and not share with me, <sighs> not share with me the reality of what we're going towards and warn me of what I'm doing? How how could you hate somebody so much not to share not to with share that? Not if you really believe what's going on. And so there, it was a bite at Christians, yeah. absolutely. But I actually think that there is there is a kind of a prophetic message absolutely, in it, absolutely. Because what is prophecy? It's not telling the future; it's showing reality. It's telling the truth yes. of what it really is. And like, and like, dude, yes. if I believe that my our real destiny is is at the point on where I go to heaven or I go to hell, yeah. and that that um, um that that is an eternal destiny, wouldn't I be like? trying to get anybody and everybody in on right. this rather than just saying this is a nice thing to do and right. it makes me feel good 
but right. saying like no there's 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 an actual reality and that is the that has been the ancient evangelical impetus of the church forever yes and we we stand at a time to where it's really it's i i there's so many idealizations and so many um uh, things that it's it's hard to get into that and to actually be a watchman and to warn people that their behaviors are killing them well and what makes it particularly hard i think in our day and age, is that we live in a culture in which everyone sort of thinks they understand what Christianity is, which makes the good the good news not really new to anybody, or nobody thinks that it's new. Right. I mean, there's something about, you know, when the first Christians were going around the, the Roman Empire, no one had ever heard this stuff before. They're like, what, what did you say? Like, I might hate that. I mean, I might kill you because of it. I might ignore you. I might be intrigued by you. I might give my life to this, but it was new. There was something novel, but now we live in a world and I don't think they're correct, but they think that Christianity has been tried and failed. It's a done deal. It's old news. We know this story, but they don't. I mean, it's not the reality. And so we're bogged down by that. Well, you, you already have these preconceived notions about me and my beliefs. Therefore, I can't really say anything because I can't offer anything new, Right. which what is the point of evangelization is I am new. I am an identity and I'm a human being with an identity and a personhood. And my life is supposed to be the living witness. I'm right. not just going to quote you scripture passages. Now right. that might be appropriate sometimes, but my life is supposed to be what is the evangelization, which is why you can't really evangelize. I mean, oh, I'm about to tick people off. You can't really evangelize on Facebook. And on social media. I mean, you can add to a conversation and you can do good, but evangelization needs to give your life to someone. So saying a bunch of random comments to a person that you've never met before and you're probably never going to meet is not usually ultimately going to do the greatest good. Right. There could be good in some of those things. I'm not trying to say stop having conversations on social media, but sometimes I think we too easily fall to just that. You yes, know what I mean? That's absolutely. not that's not what we're called. Anyway, we're, so what what we what we are called to is to be responsive to the Lord's call, which is today you hear His voice. Don't harden, harden your hearts. Heart. If you hear the watchman, listen to him. That's another way you could translate that in a certain sense, right? Mm. Like Ezekiel, if you hear the watchman's trumpet, don't ignore it. Right. Because something's coming. Something's coming. And if you hear the Lord saying, hey, you actually are the watchman and you need to blow the trumpet. Don't ignore that either. Because those are both applicable. And maybe that's the more applicable one. Harden not your hearts to that. Because when we get the sense of like, I don't know, I, there's so many convictions I have. Like, I really should go talk to that person. Or I really, I can't let that thing go. Or I, I should really engage this person. Or, you know, the pen and Teller thing. You know, we should really share these things. My instant response is fear and then usually a hardening. I can't do that. I'm too, it's too scary. They're going to hate me. They're probably a jerk anyway. They're going to, you know, who knows what they're going to do. And there's all of these excuses that we sort of build up, which is essentially a hardening of our hearts. Right. right. Which is the opposite of what the psalm is telling us to do. Right. If you're called to be a watchman today, don't put away your trumpet. I'm trying to think of novel ways to translate that. And they're, <laughs> they're coming out worse and worse every time. But, but that's the point, right? Yeah. Oh, it's... It's um so important. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's so many there's so many deep things that are going on in my heart. I mean, like, yeah. I, I I think that we've I'll 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 share it at the gospel section. Okay, so the, like ev everything is about like if you want to know what fruitfulness is, it's actually it's metanoia, it's conversion of heart, it's not hardening, it's it's letting the the truth of God's revelation into our hearts. And so mm -hmm. if we hear His voice. 
um, I used to think when I was when I was a younger man that um, I, I always had a sense of God being like, "Stop! Don't go that way. Repent." And I would be mm. like, "Oh, hi, God. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here?" Yeah, you know, and and, and uh, no, literally, yeah. I just had this sense of of like a real call from God mm. to to actually turn my life around, and I and I mistook it for a relationship with God. Oh. Interesting. Which, which, which I, I still think is something that happens with inside of us, yeah. and and when, especially for us who have been living a mature walk with Christ for a while, yeah, is that we um our consciences are formed, yes, and so you're like I shouldn't be doing this, ideally, yeah, I shouldn't be doing this, and then you're like, and then I do it anyway, yeah, and it's and it's those moments that it's like, um, you know, Saint Paul says, hey, you haven't yet resisted temptation to the shedding of your blood. Ugh. And you're like, I know. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> it was, it, the sound that came out of your mouth was like, oh, like, right. You're like, oh, yeah. I know. I I know. I know. But I, and I don't know how to find the strength to follow after the Lord. Yeah. So. Which brings us to the second reading from Romans, which I don't entirely know how to put into context or into the context of these, right? Brothers and sisters owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Um. For no one loves one another. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't kill. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't covet. Whatever commandments there may be, they're summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no evil to the neighbor. Hence, love is the ful- fulfillment of the law. I guess that. Well, here, listen. I guess I see the I, the relationship. Well, listen to the, so if we actually take kind of a a, um, a, a Thomistic approach and mm. and define evil as privation. Mm. So, so there. So, for those of you who don't know what that means, it means that um, that that in as much as something is, it it's, it has being, and that the fall was that that being starts to reject the source of being, and what should be there is no longer there. Okay. So, um, so the truth about human beings is that we should have. Um, a rightness of relationship with God. We should have moral perfections. We should have these things where our will is is in tune with our intellect. So a privation is yeah. a moment when that which should be there is not there. It's a lack. It's a gap. So he's saying he's. So I think that he says that like, like, um, if you're gonna owe no nothing to anyone but love, um, is that within love your neighbor as yourself you you're not at like you can do all these amazing things you you can even like follow the commandments but that what what is essential is to actually um love the the fullness of the person that exists before you right which sometimes means sounding the trumpet in their face and saying hey Stop it. Which is no fun. Which is not fun. Which is which is horrible. Anybody right. who, who anybody who's lived this is gonna tell you, they're gonna have a little bit of tired in their eyes. Yeah, because because they know that when, when it happens, they get accustomed. I think of Archbishop Chaput. Mm. I think of Aquila. I mm. think of like these men, Archbishop Aquila. I mean, I yeah. that, that are that like pour themselves out and and continually warn people, and yes. they're tired um, because. If you love your neighbors yourself, you're not going to forsake the difficult message to say you're screwing up. Right. And or, you or have to face it headlong. Don't rely on how your life has gone. You, you have to live in integrity now yeah. in this moment. And you have to follow after your conscience. You have to have real dialogue. Exactly right. Which, how do you do that? You get to Matthew. Yep. And Matthew puts a little bit more flesh on it. So Matthew 18, we, we're, we're in the context really 
since chapter 16, so what, two or three weeks ago, since the giving of, of the keys to Peter, the the uh, appointing him as Albayit, the prime minister, we're in sort of the section on what does the church look like? Right. Matthew's got, uh, Matthew, remember, Matthew's a tax collector, which means he's an accountant, which means he likes to organize things. So these few chapters are all about what does the church look like? Organizationally, communally, how does it look? Um, and so this is a very nuts and bolts. Okay, well, what do you do if someone's not repenting? What do you do if someone doesn't want to listen to that trumpet that's shouting? Because we actually, out of love, according to Paul in Romans, we have a responsibility to love them. We can't simply say, you know, there was a time and the place in the gospel where Jesus said, okay, if they don't listen, shake the dust off your feet. Because you have to move on because there was an urgency in that moment. But he's setting us up because the crucifixion was coming. But he's setting us up for a time in the church where we will have a little more time for evangelization. And we can't leave one another behind Um uh, that's a bit of a different road I'm going down. But but again, how do you actually do this? Um, so Jesus says to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've won, you've won over your brother. If he doesn't listen, so if, he's screw, if your brother's messing up, you got to go tell him. You have to say something or else you're not loving him. And that is a privation, like you said. You have to deal with it. If he doesn't listen, if he doesn't want to hear you, then take two others along with you. Take take a couple witnesses. So get some Get some friends. Uh, along with you so that every fact may be established on the testimony of the two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or tax collector. So he gives you a three-step process for how to deal with it if someone's messing up. Well, what do you do? First, you go talk to him. If he doesn't listen, take a couple people. If he doesn't listen to them, maybe you got to tell the pastor. Or maybe you actually have to tell the bishop. Or you, you have to do something structurally. And if he doesn't listen to that, then what do you do? You treat him as a Gentile or tax collector. And this is the part that I'm struck most by. How does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He heals them. He heals them and evangelizes them and tries to get them to come into the community. I mean, you, we want to read this sometimes. You're like, okay, well, if they won't listen, treat him as a Gentile or tax collector. In other words, cast him out. Who cares? I don't want anything to do with you. But that's actually not how Jesus treats Gentiles or tax collectors, many of which are within the company of the apostles themselves. Matthew is a tax collector. So he's literally writing these words about himself, right? Which is a little bit of a catch. And that raises a question, okay, how do you do that then? But he's not saying, I mean, the whole reason for these, this three-step process of trying to deal with this sin that's taking place is not to just show somebody how much they stink. So I, I really was under the under the impression years ago in my life. I, I, well, I guess I'm going to confess this on the air. I don't think I went to confession from my first confession until college. Yep. Cause I just, and I, I just didn't know. I didn't understand. And that was just, I, I just didn't. And part of it, especially when I came back in college, I was convinced that the reason that the church had confession was just to shame a person and embarrass them so much into not doing it again mm. because it was such a, sh and I was terrified of it. I didn't understand that it was actually to build us up and reconcile us and bring us back to life, not just to embarrass us so much that we don't want to do that again, mm. which again, that was my impression. Right. And that's the wrong understanding I think we have of reconciliation. All of these steps is not because we're so mad and ticked off at this person because they've screwed up. It's because we love this person so much and we want them to come back into the community. 
I mean, even excommunication, which is a big word that we don't like to talk about, the point of excommunication theologically and ecclesially is to get someone, give them the slap in the face they need so that they will come to their senses and be reconciled back with the church. That's the point of all of this stuff. Why did God send Israel into exile? So that they could wake up to the truth of what they're doing wrong so that they could be brought back to life and be reconciled back with him. And that's why Jesus is saying any of this stuff. I want the community to be built back up. And if you have to take these steps, fine, then take them. And if you have to treat them as an outsider, so be it. But treat them as the kind of outsider that you need to evangelize anew. And mm. maybe when he says treat them as a Gentile or tax collector, he's saying, okay, maybe you just need to start over. Start over with the process of evangelization because maybe they didn't learn to begin with. So we re-evangelize and we start again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm struck by that one. You know, like I listen, I hear you on a, I hear you on a certain, on a certain level, but on another level, I like, have you ever had a conflict with somebody so intensely that you had to bring two people and then you actually had to bring them structurally? Like, no, like the, the, the ability. So, so like after that, the relationship is so profoundly broken Mm. That that because whatever whatever's mm-hmm. going on with this person is is so intense that that they don't listen to you they don't listen to testimony and they don't listen to structure, so so like so I agree but I don't know how to have a relationship with a person like that, like like fair enough. like uh, honestly like like mm-hmm. how do you, how do you do that so if your brother sins mm-hmm. against you uh, like you hope that that would be able to form their conscience yeah um but but then there's a certain point in which yes i yeah. i do agree they need re- they need evangelization they need all these sorts of things but i don't know if you could actually like mm-hmm. like on on a real level put that on a person to say like okay now you have to go evangelize them well I, yeah the yeah. Chur- the church maybe like the the church would rally around but but i don't know if you can ask an individual that yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you're probably right. I, I mean, because I, because there's so much irrationality and so much broken relationship that it, it would. I mean, like, but that's not how the church treats Gentiles and tax collectors, right? And, and that's th- what confuses me about this. Th- that's that's why when you talk about this, I like I, I like I see some sort of a, ideal in there, but because right, like, right. like, and that's where yeah. Well, this this is the thing is I I list, like I look at contemporary American culture, and. I see a, a a profound division and a rift that's widening daily, yeah. to the point on where um, I people can't talk to each other. They can't talk to each other right. online. They can't talk to each other right. in person. Right. Th- th- you have you have radical militarized um, factions yeah. of of domestic gangs attacking one another, resorting to violence because there's nothing left. Yeah. And so so it's like I look and, and I look and I say, okay, I, I stem this actually way back to mm. contraception and abortion. I think that like mm. like that there's mm. such a fundamental rift about the nature of what the human person is at this right. point that that you have a group of people who say abortion is fine, this is great. And now there, there's so much activism mm. around anything else other than that. And then you have another group of people who are saying this is so fundamental that you, if you don't get this right, you don't get these other things which we want to get right. Yeah. We, we but mm. but we, we can't like talk anymore. Right. And so so it's like I I look at this on this gigantic corporate level and and I'm and I'm confused because I I look to I look to this moment in Matthew and I want it I want it to 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 answer and I think that that's mm. why this moment of Gentiles and tax collectors. What, what, what really is tax collector done? I mean, you look at Matthew. Here's, he's working for the enemy. He's working for the enemy. 
And so what do you do? You you actually go back, like, because what I love about this is that everything is one-on-one. It's always yeah. starts off in personal relationship. And I think that that's what the, what the essence of being a watchman is. is <laughs> if your brother sins against you, then go comment on Facebook about how much you hate him. Right. If your brother sins against you, go tell your mom how, how much your brother <laughs> sucks. No, you go talk to your brother. <laughs> yeah. if, if your friend is doing something, you go and have a conversation with your brother, which, which it, it, at, at an essential level, we struggle with within culture. because yeah. Partly because our educational system, I, I don't want to mean to be in a grandstand, but partly because our educational system is not equipping us to actually have dialogue with each other. It's, I, I, yes, I think that's true. I also think it's just instinctual. I mean, my, my small children, you know, who are, <laughs> Lily's going to turn nine in a couple of days, Sam's six, and then a little one. I mean, they do the same thing. I mean, it's my mantra. You know, one of them will come running, Samuel did this to me, or Lily did this. And my response is always, did you talk to them about it? For Like, are you okay? Is everybody safe? You know, say may hurt. But then talk to them first and it's become this like oh right okay <laughs> right but i but there's a part of me that just thinks maybe we just haven't matured maybe we just never grew up out of that quick knee jerk little kid somebody fix this for me moment i mean i think maybe it's a both and no dude i think you know I mean? dude you're you're that's the really really wise perspective because my kids are crazy. <laughs> well, because isn't that what education is for? Yeah, is right, to right, break right. us out of the, the that self selfish, self seeking behavior that we that, that, uh, which, which is actually to break us out of our concupiscence. To right. actually be a warning bell to say that this is the thing that yes. that that you know what you can't rely upon being a good kid this other time. You have to be in integrity right yeah. now. Or yeah, yeah, and yeah, just yeah, because yeah. you've been a bad kid, Ooh. you get a chance to be a good one, yes. and that you can actually have that dialogue. You're not crippled by what you've done before you can say truth wow yes absolutely Ooh, i think that's it yeah. i think i think you got there yep oh it's hard <laughs> it doesn't make it any easier <laughs> it doesn't though. make it any easier but again there's something comforting yeah step one talk to the person but i i do there's all there's all as someone who's granted my my life is sort of in public but I'm, a, I'm in general, I'm a shy person. I'm a little bit, you know, of an introvert. So I love that even <laughs> as are. it continues on, you know, uh, after that, Jesus says, amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. This is where he transfers what he said to Peter, to all the apostles. Uh, whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. But again, I, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything about which, about which they are praised, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly father. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And, and the reason I'm comforted by all that is that- Two or three are gathered in my mane? In my name. Oh, I was like, I, my, I was like, Jesus is Aslan a unicorn? His mane. <laughs> oh. Um, but I, as a person, it's comforting to me that we're not alone. Yeah. And I guess that's the point. And it, it reminds me, I mean, Jesus is taking this, I think, straight from an ancient Jewish. It's in the, it's in the, uh, I think it's in the Talmud. It talks about where two, where two people discuss the Torah together, the God, God Yahweh is in the midst of them. It's between them in that conversation. And now what? The new Torah is Jesus himself. He is the word of God made flesh. So if two of us are gathering in his name around the new Torah, which is Jesus, there he is. But it reminds me that, okay, you're not alone in this. And what we've done, again, with social media and everything else, we've made it so isolated. It's me and my arguments and my computer and this person who's an abstraction somewhere and I'm going to tear him apart. Rather than, no, it's me and my brother, and that's hard, so I'm going to get my friend because I actually need some support, and we're going to pray together. And if I need him, he's going to come with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there's something that Jesus, there's something very human about the way that Jesus is saying, okay, you don't have to be an Ezekiel just standing up on the wall with your trumpet. 
you can actually bring some backup. You can actually have friends. You're, mm. you're together in this. And I called Ezekiel to that for a reason, but I'm calling you to have community. Dude, you just gave shed shed such a beautiful light on the, the listeners of Lanky guys. Because like like the truth is is that I never feel like I'm talking to ten thousand people. So, okay. but no, I just feel like like it's just it's it's us three talking. Yes. Whoever you are, you know Leslie or or right. any, any take your pick of the Baselli's or my my <laughs> brother or my mom or dad or you know s- some folks out in Maine, you know, yeah. and Leslie Speaking and of Lindsay and. It's like, it's, it's good. So God bless you. Thanks for joining us and uh, joining and, and letting God move your heart. We hope. He's moving ours. So we'll be back next week. Until then. Peace. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.